This is the After Party, live with Jim McAllister and John Daly. Hello, Kim McAllister. Hi, John Daly. How's it going? Not bad. Uh, Holiday hangover is, uh, I was going to say it's over, but New Year's is coming. Yeah, how was it's Christmas? It's that in between, in between. Christmas was good. Dinner was good. Okay. We get um, we get Thanksgiving part two. So it's the oh, exact yeah. same dinner. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Because you start to miss it after a while. I Me just too. got my weight off from Thanksgiving. <laughs> Pack it all back on. Here yeah, it it's back. It's back, everybody. Well, welcome. Thank you for being here uh, at the After Party Live post-Mark Thompson show. Mark Thompson's birthday today. So a huge happy birthday to Mark Thompson. Oh, yeah, oh, it's his birthday, isn't it? And yeah. Uh, yeah, beyond that, let me give you a little happy birthday, Mark. Oh, there look we at go. That. Nice. Happy birthday, Mark Thompson. Look at all his adoring fans behind him. Well, that is the way, you know. Yeah. They know who he is. Red is his color. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Thompson. Mark Thompson traveling on his birthday, headed back to to his home base. So uh, it might not be the kind of birthday that he imagines, but uh, at least he'll know that we're thinking of him and remembering him. And it's celebrated everywhere. (laughs) That's right. Happy birthday, Mark. Another day uh, today, it's Kwanzaa. Oh, it so is another Kwanzaa, isn't it? of note, uh, Kwanzaa created in 1966 by Maulana Ron Karenga to reaffirm and restore, restore African heritage and culture, to introduce and reinforce the Nguzo Seba, uh, or the seven Saba. principles, Saba, and to serve as a decelerate, and to serve no, I only as know a, that because I, I looked into it because I didn't want to be it, a jerk. Of course, why the, the uh, to serve as a nationally celebrated communal and non-heroic holiday. Yeah. So, so if you can, um, if you make that out, can you make that out? This is no, every day. Every day of uh, Kwanzaa celebrates one of the different principles. So if you want to look into it, it's pretty cool. Just Google Kwanzaa Seven Principles. Um, they have the African names there that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But um, each day is something like purpose, cooperative okay. economics, uh, collective unity, work and responsibility. Yeah, yeah, unity, that kind of thing. So it's kind of cool. What's today's uh, unity. unity? Okay, cool. Yeah, nice. Cool. Well, happy Kwanzaa to happy all Kwanzaa who to uh, celebrate and who observe. All right, Gordon's saying happy birthday, Mark. Uh, how did it become Satan's birthday? No, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Who was that, Calvin? Uh, that was uh, Gordon. Yeah, that was Calvin. Oh, oh, Gordon. Sorry. No, Gordon said it was Mo Direct. Oh, hit the like button. Yes, please hit the like button. Thank you, Mo Direct. Yes, it was Calvin. <laughs> one of my favorites. Thank you, Calvin. Please do hit the like button and please do hit the subscribe button as well. You don't have to sell your soul. No, you don't. We'll just take a free little click and a free little subscribe and that's all you need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could use the boost. Uh, The views of the show were down a little bit this uh, during the holiday period, which is normal. Uh, You know, we we had talk shows, you know, people people are busy. Yeah, during the holiday week. If you could share the show, it'll help boost. Huge, huge, huge. Uh, influence of the after party live Uh-oh. Uh, because of your outro last week my four-year-old now meows all of his favorite songs that's really funny you know when i was bartending a lot of the songs kind of have that kind of sing-songy meow sound and we and, would, and we're we, sorry, would meow, <laughs> we would meow we would meow to the music videos like whatever the the music was yeah so it's contagious it is it is that's really funny oh man although the um, problem is you know because archie helped out with the fundraising effort i gave archie a little more dinner 
Right. Well, now he doesn't want to go back to less dinner. No, of course, no. who would? Now yeah. that he's lived the high life, he yeah. wants to go back to the bare bones. Yeah. Uh, Walter says Mark can't stay young, but he can stay immature. That's yes, true. He Festivus. Can Happy Festivus. All? all right. Let's talk about um, one of these uh, stories that I saw in SF Gate. I was fascinated by. Did you know there's tunnels underneath the Great Highway? Under it? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. That's what I understand. There's a lot of sand. I don't know. Well, apparently, um, a hundred years ago, San Francisco it leaders. Like story time. Gather around, children. One hundred years ago, <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away, in San Francisco, you know the sand blows across the the road. Yeah, and so there used to be all sand dunes out there. It did. It's always been a problem with traffic out there. And I guess a hundred years ago, San Francisco leaders had an, an idea to build permanent infrastructure that ran underground. There were at least four pedestrian tunnels that led underneath the street directly to the beach. Oh, okay. I was yeah. thinking the other way. I thought you meant like under the actual, you mean across, under, across, there beneath. Or pedestrian tunnels underneath the street directly okay. to the beach that those tunnels sense. are now buried or destroyed they think the first one is was built in 1913 um by then this road later known as the great highway was completed with streetcar service that ran to the end of slope boulevard right. this according to uh, sf gate uh, with more people able to access the western edge of the city campaigns to beautify the surrounding areas were in motion a playground and a restroom facility uh, was built between Sloat and Wawona. The first tunnel, and this is interesting, there's a picture of it, the first tunnel built with a long sloped entryway and an arched opening was constructed with the aim of protecting children from roadway traffic. So interesting. Years uh, we don't care about that anymore. No, we don't, we don't protect the children anymore. Go across the Great Highway. There's a, a crosswalk right there. Take your life into your own hands. Years later, the existing playground was deemed too small for the amount of foot traffic. Uh, and so a $9 million highway bond was passed. A million dollars went toward Great Highway improvements. They widened the median. They widened the thoroughfare. They added a seawall and landscaped lawns and paths. Look at that. There's the entrance to one of the tunnels that goes underneath the Great Highway. The redesign also included three more tunnels that connected pedestrians to the beach, all right near the streetcar line's very last stop. The underpass north of the, north of the beach chalet right near Fulton had an angular entrance with a gate, and it would also include an underground restroom. There's pictures of that yeah, one, too. That's the one, too. We're, looking, that's so the one we're looking at right now, I think. Yeah. Um, they also did a tunnel at Sloat. There were as many as seven under total underpasses, is what they say, underneath the Great Highway. There's that Terraville. Because of the water's edge, the tunnels were subject to the whims of the weather, frequently flooded, sand blanketing the roadways and high winds. So they demolished the one at Sloat to make more room for widening the Great Highway. And then the rest of them ended up being phased out as well. So we had yeah, all I can these. see that one at Terraville here. It, um, yeah, it, look at the it crack. Collapsed. Yeah, it Correct. Yeah, those tunnels are goners. But I thought that was interesting that there were tunnels under the Great Highway. I didn't know. Interesting. Whenever yeah. somebody says I live on Terraville, I hear like terrible. <laughs> terrible? <laughs> like, where, where? Terrible. 
How about this story, the cruise ship? And of course, all these cruise ship stories are coming out at me because Mark Thompson just got off a cruise boat. And when you know someone who's on a cruise, of course, you see all the cruise ship stories. Don't usually hear a lot of good news coming out of cruises. I, I read this story on the air, but I hadn't seen the pictures yet. And oh my goodness. So there's this cruise ship that um, was stalled out. It was the MS Mod, a cruise ship beset by fast winds and huge waves. It caused a power outage, took out the navigation system. And so they were just floating out there with, you know, no rhyme or reason. Uh, But now we see pictures of passengers that are wearing life jackets, gripping tables, and scared to death as the waves, some reportedly seven feet tall, bash into this cruise liner. Uh, people are yelling, get on the floor. It's safer than sitting on the table. So you see them all here in their safety gear. Too, it's too, for me, it's just too risky. It's like the, <laughs> the, the cost benefit analysis on this uh, so usually, expedition. It's like, cruise, usually cruise ships are so big that you don't even feel the waves. Yeah. But what's the benefit? The benefit is you can go out and gain a lot of weight. Um, not really stay in the places you're at very long. You're in this rush to get off and get back on the boat. Mm, and then you've yeah. got the risk of like, not just COVID, but before that, like all, what do you call it? The, um, the, like the norovirus, mm-hmm. you know, and you're fighting to get into buffet and that buffet thing. So just does, I kind of feel the same appetizing. way as you. I feel like that too, except for I went on a cruise. My mom turned 70. And so she took my sister and I to the Caribbean because she'd always wanted to go. So we went on this cruise ship. This is several years ago before COVID. And I have to say, it was a, I had a lot more fun than I thought. I thought, oh, cruise ship, yuck. But it's kind of like a resort, a floating resort with parties every night, a bowling alley, like all these activities. Yeah, I'm just to thinking do. you could go to places on land that have all that without the risk of like being yeah. But stuck then meanwhile, out there, then then you the then you then you're stopping at all these these places you've never seen along the way i'm it was it was much more fun than i thought it would be i don't know i just kind of see it as like lazy tourism it's like uh you just show up yeah (laughs) and it's like you're paying the price for it too you yes you are the dollar cost benefit for me i just i can't i can't yeah well mark's boat ran into some high seas as well but not quite like this this is uh the waves there's video of this boat the waves lifting the ship high into the air before letting it this is the quote plummet into the canyon between the waves i mean they hit some rough seas this is not the norm for cruise ships the ms mod lost power in the north sea east of great britain and uh north of denmark more than 260 guests ordered to hunker down after that outage occurred. Danish rescue ships had to come out. They were on the scene within 40 minutes. What can the you tell cruise, us about the scene? What can you tell us about the scene? The cruise ultimately made it to Germany. One passenger saying the cruise will pay for their flights to London, which was the ship's original destination. But it So a good ending, but it was a pretty scary situation for the people on that cruise ship. I'll say Roll says uh, cruise along Alaska is amazing. That's I think that's yeah. the only one I would potentially do only because getting around Alaska from pl- place to place is not easy. Right. And then if you want to see the inside passage, you know, the glacier mm-hmm. that, or, uh, you know, the bay there, uh, that would be difficult to do on land. Then I, I think then the, I, I would run that cost benefit analysis. And I think that one would uh, pass. Well, you, you can see things from the, you know, on the shore that you wouldn't see if you were on land. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a whole different perspective. Yeah. So, so I think that's the one exception I would make. I mean, it's, but. it sounds obvious to say it that way, but you know, yeah. Cruise along Alaska is amazing, says Aussie rules. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that I saw more Caribbean islands than I would have if I had just gone to one. And right. so I kind of got a little flavor of each island, which was kind of a cool thing. And cool. again, I would never have thought that I would like have liked a cruise, but so I you clicked like and did you subscribe? I did indeed. No, I haven't subscribed, <laughs> but I did click the like. Absolutely. Well, let's we have animals. Let's talk about them. Look at this little one. This was a rare and endangered okapi born at the Cincinnati Zoo. I've never even heard of an okapi. So cute. This is a rare endangered species related to the giraffe. And it was recently born, this little uh, this little one, at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden. Here he is. Mm, there he is. I've never even seen one. They're beautiful. We've never seen anything like this before. No, it's a baby boy okapi. It was born December 17th to its mother, Kuvua, and its father, Kiloro. This is Kuvua's fourth calf. Did Maury Povich confirm that? I think he did. Mm -hmm. You are the father. They say she's an amazing mom. She's been attentive to the little one's every need, that the calf is strong and it looks healthy and it's really soft and fuzzy, they say. Aww. So they're going to keep them behind the scenes so they can continue to bond through the winter. And then uh, in the spring, they're going to bring the little one out. It's I like a chocolate giraffe. Yeah, it's With, beautiful. Uh, I mean, they, I don't think they have quite as long of necks. Right. But um, did you imagine they are related? They're related to the giraffe. Yeah. They're native to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Oh, and they're the giraffe. They're, they're Democrats. Well, forget it. <laughs> they're the giraffe's closest, closest relative. Kick them out of the country. They say the species share similar body structures, but okapis have shorter necks. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. They may or may not be Democrats. Welcome to the world, little one. Oh, Cindy with $5. Love the cute animal videos. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks for the contribution. We appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year, Cindy. All right, let's talk about this llama. Llama, llama, mama, mama. Llama, llama drama? Yeah. Yeah, California Highway Patrol officers rescue a llama named Challenger. Well, that's quite a name for a llama. From the freeway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, there was some llama drama in the Sierra Nevada on Friday. The California Highway Patrol really proved that it is prepared for just about anything after it res <laughs> rescued an exotic pet from the Nor NorCal freeway. Um, who wrote this? NorCal freeway. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna was it on inter was it on 80 or 50 headed to Tahoe? Uh, I think it was on. Let's see. I'm sorry. I'm navigating through uh, mm -hmm. some pop up ads. Um, it was on 80. Uh -huh. uh, so I guess you could say it was on the 80. If you're no, <laughs> no, no, you can't <laughs> say so that. Out. You're in Northern California now. This is ABC uh, LA yeah. that's written this. Um, yeah, it was um, roaming westbound on Interstate 80 at Donner Summit. Challenger had gotten out from his home but officers eventually caught up with him and apprehended him and like look at this threw him in the back oh poor guy oh, uh he was returned her. to his owners and he promised not to go looking for santa claus again <laughs> and uh they misspelled S santa claus that's embarrassing oh CHP. well that's the state of the media today you know <laughs> well, that's the chp that it posted oh is that on, i'm just gonna call it twitter i think it was john oliver said like uh they call, he calls it X, and we're just going to call it Twitter. It's Twitter, and I'm tweeting. Oh, that's funny. Uh, okay, let's talk about Neil the Seal. Neil the Seal. He's the Internet's oh. newest sensation. He's cute. Or, or, He's or, or, or. from Tasmania. Seals make He's that a, noise too, right? Uh, Maybe, sea yeah. lions 
maybe are a little more. Well, vocal. yeah, it's a barking. They, they bark. Yeah, I, yeah. I think maybe they yeah. don't make as much noise. No, they do. They're they're barkers. Mm-hmm. They're pretty loud. Yeah. So this is a 1,300-pound seal named Neil, and apparently he's taken over a small town along the coast of Tasmania. He is going viral, Neil is, for banging parking poles and stopping a woman from going to work. He's banging on the poles. Oh, banging on. on (laughs) Oh, hey, now, don't get dirty. (laughs) He stopped a lady from going to work after blocking access Uh to her car because he was taking a nap. Yeah. While his amusing antics have uh, now brought him a following on social media, conservation authorities are concerned about the human interest in him. They're warning people, be careful in their interactions with Neil. Like, these are big animals and they're not, it's not a friendly situation. Don't do that. Neil is a southern elephant seal in Tasmania, which is an island state in Australia. Uh, beautiful. Is it? Have you been there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Wow. He's been sighted at a number of locations in southern Tasmania. And elephant seals are a threatened species in Australia. Full-grown males average between 1,500, let me do it in pounds instead of of kilograms, 3,000 to 8,000 pounds. So, like, if you walk up to Neil, no, don't walk up to Neil. Mm -mm. Um, So, he has been hauled out. Which is a normal behavior for seals, where they come With ashore to F one fifty. No, they come ashore <laughs> to rest for four or five weeks after foraging, and then they return to the sea when they're ready. So he'll go back to the sea. So just leave him alone. After he's Neil's, done banging the parking poles. <laughs> after he's done doing that, if they said like he was banging the poles, then I I think they're gone. The poles are probably clipped off. Playing with with cones, orange cones. He's seen yeah. flopping across roadways, lying on lawns. He's just all over the place. So he's he's kind of the new town mascot. I'm kind of interested in finding out how they how they moved him. They grease no, him they, up like a big old they, watermelon. No, they they didn't move him. They <laughs> oh. the hauling out is his own hauling of himself. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. I thought they like uh, rigged no, something. They're trying um, to leave him alone. They're not touching him. Yeah, yeah let him do alone. what he needs to do. Yeah. And stay away from him because he just needs his space. Yeah. Uh, are you a mushroom person? No. And I don't mean shrooms. I mean like actual mushrooms. No. Do, do you know uh, what n- the California's new official state mushroom is going to be? I did read about this and yeah. it's kind of interesting looking. Yeah. Yeah. The golden chanterelle. Now I did some Googling, uh, Google mm-hmm. it. And apparently gold chanterelle in general, like th- there's a this, this color type of chanterelle uh, mushroom is all across the United States. I find it strange that the state mushroom is a mushroom I've never even seen or heard of. Have you ever seen? Have we ever seen anything like this before? Mm, Do you recognize I, it? I have not. No. No. So it's nearly big enough to seat a hookah. I might just be ignorant, well, just in general. Um, mushroom it ignorant? Might be big enough to seat a hookah smoking <laughs> caterpillar comfortably uh, <laughs> will be California's official mushroom beginning in 2024, thanks to a new uh, bill signed by the governor. Um, <laughs> My first thought is like, take care of pg The golden chanterelle or cantharellus <laughs> californicus is a yellowish monster chanterelle, and it is the largest in the world. Uh, the Bay Area Mycological Society says the mushroom, yes, there is a Bay Area Mycological Society, of course says the is. mushroom can feed a family of four with leftovers. Wow. How do you, how do you eat that? Or fried up? Or yeah, absolutely. Baked? The mushroom was first described in 2008. And grows on the uh, on the ground under live oaks, where they're quite content to produce spores over a period of weeks or months. 
according to the uh, Bay Area Mycological Society, otherwise known as BAMS, growing even larger and more complex in shape over time. And though foragers prize them, harmful fungi ingesting insects steer clear, giving them another chance to thrive. Uh, they also seem to be shunned by squirrels and wild pigs. Uh, they don't want to mess around with this guy. But every rose has its thorn, as they say, and every mushroom has its doppelganger, which may be poisonous. In the mm -hmm. golden chanterelle's case, this is the jack-o'-lantern mushroom or the Omphalotus olivicens. Wow. I'm surprised you tried, you even tried that one, but okay. <laughs> Can you say it? Are you looking at no. the story? Omphalotus no. oliviacens. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Foragers beware. That sounds like something out of Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, but why a mushroom? According to Bill's text, we have a state flower and tree, so it's time to recognize a fungus. There is a fungus among us. Among us. So let me take this moment to say that three days ago, the uh, warning was put out by the East Bay Regional Park District yeah. about the mushrooms that are blooming there. Uh, they say they're deadly, and then the public needs to know. They're warning people. The the death cap mushroom, the destroying angel, that is kind of that foreshadowing. It's like another thing where the cost benefit on that. It's like the mm -hmm. risk of like making a mistake and killing yourself just doesn't seem worth getting free mushrooms. No, mm -mm. I only buy mushrooms at the store. Go to the store. The the East Bay Regional Park District says the death cap and western destroying angel mushrooms contain amatoxins, which is a group of molecules that inhibit cellular metabolism in many animals. In mammals, the liver and the kidneys are typically the first organs affected after ingestion. Symptoms don't usually appear up until 12 hours after consumption, beginning as severe gastrointestinal distress, progressing to liver and renal failure if treatment is not sought immediately. The mushrooms grow along the trails and at the base of trees, making them easy for children and dogs to get a hold of, a hold of which is why they, they say you need to be really, really vigilant. Um, one Oakland resident says, I'm on the lookout as soon as it starts raining. Some of, um, yeah, some of them really dangerous. People may be tempted to forage for mushrooms for just more than, than food. Apparently they can, a lot of artists use them to make dyes. Uh, but they say East Bay Regional Parks, we have a rule. No collecting any mushrooms allowed in East Bay Regional Parks. We advise pet owners to keep a close eye on their dogs. I, you know, before, when I was in, in school, I was, uh, I worked in a, an emergency room. And I saw... Not like elementary school. No, 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 no. Later on. <laughs> and I saw um, whole families that had gone mushroom foraging and eaten some horrible oh, one come in. Yeah. And whole families die because once you eat that and your body ingests the toxins, yeah. there's nothing they can do. That's and so your stupid. liver shuts down not, and you croak. It is it. it's not worth taking any kind of chance yeah. for mushrooms. And Lori says they make patties and put them in hamburger buns for vegan uh, burgers. That's the oh. chanterelle. So yeah, I guess I would be like, what's the big mushroom, portobello mushroom? Mm -hmm. The big one that they make hamburgers out of? Yeah. Like burgers. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, my mom um, makes sauteed and garlic and olive oil and nom 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 red wine mm, scary yeah all right okay let's move on to these tiny jellyfish they're like the size of a thumbnail they're teeny teeny tiny and they have this cool superpower they can regenerate their own tentacles Ooh. it's cool look at their little string-like tentacles mm -hmm. they need those they need those tentacles for survival um, they hunt hunt with them, they feed with them. And so when they break off, it's a problem. 
no, it isn't a problem because they regrow them and they regrow them fast. But how they regrow their tentacles has been a mystery. But now the science team in Japan is starting to understand the cellular process that these tiny jellyfish use in limb regeneration. The study is uh, is published in PLOS Biology, if you're looking for it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, PLOS Biology. Mm-hmm. The authors of the study amputated a tentacle from one of these jellyfish in That's the lab. Very nice. No, it really isn't. Then they studied the cells that were growing in the jellyfish post-amputation. The team found the jellyfish have stem-like proliferative cells actively growing and dividing, but not yet changing into specific cell types. The cells appear at the site of the injury and then help from the blastema. What they say is the stem like proliferative cells in the blastema are different from the resident stem cells localized in the tentacle. Mm, repair specific proliferative cells mainly contribute to the thin outer layer of the newly formed tentacle. Very interesting. The resident stem-like cells near the tentacle are responsible for maintaining and repairing whatever cells the jellyfish needs throughout its life. So cool. I wish I could. I wish I had that property. I could Missing a finger, like the Throw cartilage in my in my knee. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, I the thought finding... we were advanced. We're not very advanced. <laughs> no, the the thumbnail sized jellyfish is more advanced than we are. The finding helps researchers better understand how blastema formation differs among different animal groups who have different developmental shapes. Salamanders. Um, develop two equal sides, the right and the left. Jellyfish are considered non-bilaterians. Both jellyfish and salamanders, though, are capable of regenerating limbs despite their symmetrical differences. So they're looking into all of this. And maybe someday, who knows, it'll help us regenerate our own cartilage or whatever you want. What, what if you could regenerate your clothing? Maybe, perhaps. Simple gestures could be all it takes to alter the color of your clothes in the future, according to a research team that has developed a color-changing textile embedded with a tiny camera and making use of artificial intelligence. Oh. Just a warning. We have a bunch of stories. Uh, I was going to group them all together, but we have so many AI stories. I just, you know, it's it's everywhere throughout spread the show. Spread them out. Yeah, so spread So are it you out. saying like the same sweater today could be purple and tomorrow could be green? Right. The technology no. could help reduce waste by giving people more color choices for an item of clothing. This is based out of Hong Kong at the Laboratory for Artificial Intelligence in Design. Uh, the fabric, which is knitted with a polymeric optical fiber, POF, and textile-based yarns can be illuminated in a range of different hues. A thumbs up in front of the fabric. Get this. You just, you just like put your finger up like a thumbs up. Oh. It could change the color to a deep blue. It's if you give it like, a heart, heart like sign, it'll turn it pink. It's like the clapper. You make a little yeah, signal. Yeah, while an yeah. OK sign will turn it green. Colors have been uh, also customized from an app on a phone, and AI algorithms help the camera distinguish the gestures from of individual users, right? So you're like, your mm -hmm. OK would be different than my OK. So I guess that would prevent people from changing the color for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. The fabric is also soft, um, and uh, it's recyclable. The The material is recyclable, the, uh, the, lit, the lit up part, and the structure of the textile en enables easy separation from the yarns for recycling. The hand feel is just like hmm. any other knitted fabric. Uh, the lab hopes that the technology will one day be commercialized. It's currently on display at installations in shopping malls and other locations throughout Hong Kong. Interesting. So, yeah, uh, look, I bet it's kind that. of expensive. I don't know. Well, I'm sure, yeah. Like everything when it yeah. first comes out. And of course, it's got to be battery powered, I imagine. So, 
I'm going back to the deep sea. Are you ready Ooh. for this? Mm-hmm. Take I'm there. taking you under the water to look at the octopus. This is the Oct- friendliest octopus I could find. Look at that. The octopus DNA is revealing Antarctic ice sheet is closer to collapse than previously thought. Ooh. It is an, it is an unstable house of cards, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an innovative way to study it, interestingly. Um, a new analysis published in Thursday, it's uh, called In Science, finds that geographically isolated populations of octopi or octopuses um, mated freely about 125,000 years ago, which signaled an ice-free corridor during a period when global temperatures were similar to today. The findings suggest the West Antarctic ice sheet is closer to collapse than previously thought, threatening uh, 3.3 to 5 meters of long-term sea level rise if the world is unable to hold human-caused warming to the 1.5 degrees Celsius target of the Paris Agreement. This according to the authors that wrote this uh, new analysis published in Science. They say that as an evolutionary biologist focused on marine invertebrates that I understand and then apply DNA and biology as a proxy of changes to Antarctica in the past. This octopus called Turquette's octopus made an ideal candidate for studying the West Antarctic ice sheet because the species is found all around the continent and the fundamental information about it has already been answered by science, like its 12-year lifespan, the fact that it emerged 4 million years ago, it's about a half a foot long, excluding its arms, weighed, weighs about 1.3 pounds. They lay relatively few but very large eggs on the bottom of the seafloor, which means that they have to put significant effort into ensuring that their eggs hatch. That means they can't travel too far away from the eggs. They're limited by circular sea currents or gyres in some of their habitats. By sequencing the DNA across the genomes, 96 samples that were genetically collected inadvertently as fishing bycatch and then left in a museum storage over the course of 33 years, the scientists say they found evidence of transwest Antarctic seaways that once connected uh, the Waddell, Amundsen, and Ross Seas. The history of genetic mixing indicated the West Antarctic ice shelf collapsed at two separate points. First, in the mid-Pliocene, three million years ago, which scientists were already confident about, and the last time in a period called the last interglacial, a warm spell, about 130,000 years ago. And that was the last time the planet was 1.5 degrees warmer than pre-industrial levels. So they say by looking at the DNA, by looking at everything they can tell, another ice sheet collapse is imminent. Wow, that's Debbie Downer. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. This is a party. I'm not supposed to down everybody, bring everybody yeah. down. No. On, that, on that note, we should probably take a break. Okay. And uh, we do have a new sponsor. We do? Yeah, check this out. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. We wouldn't sell out to Shen Yun. We'd never do that. No. Um, let, let's take a break, and then we'll be right back here on The After Party Live. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience, and without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute $10, $15, or $20 a month, it would keep this party a-rockin'. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated, and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. 
Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. Yeah, it is the After Party Live. And we have huge thank yous going out to our ongoing contributors, Julie S., Karen C., Elaine L., Kim L., Tammy a G and Pinky C. Thank you guys. Also to Cindy for $5. Thank you so much. We're coming Yay. up to the end of the December fundraising period. Uh, we're a little behind, but everyone's been so generous. If you haven't contributed yeah. to the show, if you could uh, consider, you know, contributing five bucks, if everybody watching gave five bucks, we could, uh, we'd be sustainable. So anything uh, helps, but all those monthly contributions really keep the show going. Thank you so much. And please click the like button if you're thinking of it and subscribe yeah. if you haven't already. And it Thank keeps us from that. selling out to Shen Yun. It's really funny. I, I kept seeing Shen Yun um, posters and billboards around the city. So every time I see one, I send Kim a photo. Yeah. Shen Yun yeah. again. Oh, They're no. Everywhere. They're everywhere. Oh, inundated. No. <laughs> Let's talk about AI versus humans. Yeah. Back to AI. Um, mm -hmm. This is a pretty cool story. Um, AI versus humans. Let me see if I can get the photo here. There you go. Um, yeah. This is a AI leveraging robot. Artificial intelligence programs easily and consistently outplay human competitors in cognitively intensive games like chess, poker, and Go. But it's much harder for robots to beat their biological rivals in games requiring physical dexterity. That performance gap appears to be shortening. However, starting with a classic children's puzzle game, researchers at uh, Switzerland's ETH Zurich recently unveiled Cyber Runner, their new robotic system that leveraged precise physical controls, visual learning, and AI training reinforcement in order to learn how to play Labyrinth faster than a human. Um, Labyrinth and its many, many variants generally consists, consists of a box topped with a flat wooden plane that tilts across an X and Y axis using external knob controls. Atop the board is a maze featuring numerous gaps. The goal is to move a marble or metal ball from start to finish without it falling into one of those holes. It can be a frustrating game to say at least, uh, but with ample practice and patience, players can That's generally why they learn. Use it for, on Survivor, have you seen the big version of this right. on Survivor? Yeah, yeah. the big one. Players mm -hmm. can generally learn to steady their controls enough to steer their mar marble through to safety in a relatively short time span. And since we have Travel Tuesday, I'm going to end it there. But um, pretty cool. But the AI constantly beats the humans. Of course, because they're going to yeah. kill us eventually. No, no, no. Did you know if you're looking for love in the new year, you can get special status on tinder for a oh, mere five hundred dollars yeah that's all what? it costs 500 bucks uh, it's an invite only subscription for people wanting to see the app's most sought after profiles oh how exclusive mm -hmm. the exclusive membership is called tinder select and it will run you 500 bucks a month a month you can turn off ads and messaging, and you can message other users without even matching with them first online. I guess that's how it works. So people like you on the app will be able to see an unblurred photo of you in their likes in their likes you grid, even if they don't have a gold or platinum subscription. Your profile also remains prioritized on their likes, uh, likes you grid for a week. It better be for 500 oh, bucks a month. That's right. Um, if you're interested, you have to meet a nope. strict set of criteria. You have to have five interests. You have to have four pictures. If you're you willing to, have... to pay $500 a month, you probably don't have five interests. You have to have a, a bio of a minim minimum of 15 characters. That's it. You have to indicate a relationship goal and you have to be photo verified. Me spend mm -hmm. money. Now give me relationship. Ooh. 
the money the company says one less than one percent of people will be able to get this subscription to ensure that you receive the most exclusive experience possible mm-hmm yeah. so stupid they have other things that won't set you back five hundred dollars a month uh they have all this proves is that you're bad at money $25 a month, your platinum at $30 a month, all these ways where Do you really want to get into a relationship with somebody who's willing to spend like half of what mm -hmm. some people spend on rent? Some people they're they really want to buy love, you know? Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think there's if, venues. If the new way of meeting people is online and you're serious about it, then I guess and you have the cash, then why not go and you know, I don't know. I tend to think the people that pay that much money are the people that are just hooking up right and left. Yeah, just go to a bar and buy somebody a drink. That's it. That's all you need to do. Oh, well, well speaking allegedly, of allegedly speaking of being lonely. Mm. Yeah, uh, this story is pretty crazy. Uh, I thought I had a photo, but it went missing. Um, if you live in your own bubble. Uh, or sorry, sorry. The headline is "You live in your own bubble." A Swedish city takes on loneliness with a simple hello. Residents of Lulea, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, welcome a new campaign encouraging them to say hello to each other during the dark and winter months because it's get really dark. It, it's really dark up there, on the snowy shore of northern Swedish, um, uh, northern Sweden. Uh, bathers are lowering themselves into a rectangular hole in frozen seawater. Probably oh. a better way to meet people. Uh, the sun is already disappearing and it's barely 2 p.m. Soon, in a month's time, there will just be three hours of daylight every day. Uh, it's a, it's like happiness. It's like a happiness rush afterwards, uh, Katarina says, 44, who's taking the dip before work. She hardly ever swims in the summer, but doing it so frequently in the winter, um, but started doing it in the winter, sorry, uh, a couple years ago. While many have their own hobbies that keep them going through the cold months, uh, ice swimming, cross-country skiing, walking on the ice road out in the Arpa Leg archipelago mm -hmm. got it uh one thing remains the problem loneliness in an attempt to counter that authorities have launched a campaign to ease that social isolation ever so slightly by encouraging people to say hello to one another it's a really good thing that people say hi to each other it means people who meet each other who don't know each other become a little happier uh says the chair of the winter bathing group callus lulea uh the uh sog hey saying hello say hello campaign says it aims to create a friendlier city by nudging people towards small but significant social interaction. Ad, uh, advertisements are running on buses and workshops are being held in schools. Recent, uh, recent research found that among 16 to 29-year-olds, 45% of people uh, in the town were experiencing problems as a result of loneliness. So among sad. Among aged 85 and over, the figure was much lower, 39% among women and 26% among men. I wonder if that's just because they're they're used to it by that age. When did we all get out of the practice of saying hello to people? Uh, when people move to big cities. Is that what happens? There's a weird thing going on in my building. Well, at least one weird thing where almost no one in the building acknowledges and says hi. And uh, I asked... So weird! One, I asked one of the long-term tenants and he said it's because they're like the tech millennials. So oh. anyone a under the age of 40, they just don't say hello. They'll like, and it's weird because they'll look right at me and I'll be like, hi. And, it, and, you know, when you go out of your way to say hello to somebody and then they walk right past you, right? It's not like they didn't see you. That's really awkward. Um, yeah. yeah. I started asking my roommate. I'm like, is my breath like that? I'm like, what's going on? Something, wrong? something wrong? I noticed when I lived in San Francisco that 
people didn't say hello to each other. It's like the whole modus operandi was avoid eye contact with anyone. Yeah, and, and I mean, I understand to a certain point people do that to avoid like the, you know, the mentally ill on the street right. and, and being solicited for money and it kind of jades you off over time. But I think there's also a psychological thing about, I think there's studies done like if you're overstimulated by living in an active environment, you just right. kind of like retreat inward. Whereas if you're in a slower like town like or city like Petaluma, it's like there's right. not as much no in Petaluma. Everyone says hello to each other. Yeah, everyone. Like, I mean, maybe not everyone. Good morning, there's always Kim. Gonna... Good morning, Bob. right? Right. <laughs> there's always like even if you're driving by, you're waving at neighbors. Or, How are the or, kids? You know, yeah, it's true. It's a different. Well, even if you don't know the people, you're saying hello. You yeah. know, have a nice day, whatever. Well, Just how do you do? How do you do, Kim? <laughs> exactly. What do you want? You want the moon? You know what I want? I want to follow up on this story. This is the remember the story we talked about with the lady that had two uteruses, oh, two yeah, uter uteri. uteri. Yeah, and could we forget? She, she managed to get pregnant in a miracle in both uteri, both uteruses at the same time. Wow! Which means that she had to have an egg drop on each side. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Like New Year's. Uh, <laughs> Ten. It's the egg nine. drop. She's 32. She's from Alabama. She was born with two uteruses. She got pregnant in both while she gave birth to twin girls on different days. They announced this on social media Friday. She said, our miracle babies were born. Double double a hatchling, she said. The girls decided they were rare enough. Statistically, they should just go ahead and have their own birthdays, too. The first one, named Roxy Layla, was born December 19th. At 7.49 p.m., she was joined by a rebel, Rebel Lakin, a few hours later on December 20th at 6.09 a.m. Each twin weighed more than seven pounds. That's big for ba you're carrying oh, and two of course, babies at once. It's now a family of seven. Wow. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Friends set she up a GoFundMe. Originally due on Christmas, but after 20 hours of combined labor, she was induced at 39 weeks. The sisters arrived just in time to be home for the holidays with their siblings. Yeah, they have a lot of siblings. Now a family her husband's of like, oh, seven. yeah, I'm the man. That's me. No, he's probably <laughs> thinking, how am I going to afford all these kids? What he's he's thinking. like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. Man. Now <laughs> what? That's, mm -hmm. that's on me. Yeah. Interesting. Um. And a miracle, really, that this all happened in, you know, in both uteruses at once and that there was enough room in both for, wow, just crazy. Uh-huh. So they tell the story again. But the odds of this double pregnancy in double wombs, she's told, are one in 50 million. Oh, wow. Is that crazy? The last time it happened was in India in 2019 when a woman gave birth to healthy babies 26 days apart. Wow. Imagine you think you're done being pregnant. Nope, you're not. Mm -mm. Yeah. All right. My mom said after I was born, the factory is closed. <laughs> That's it. Done. All right. It is time for Travel Tuesday. Travel Tuesday. That's right, everybody. It's Travel Tuesday. We've got some travel stories. Let's get it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mockingbird. Let's take a look at the best places to go in 2024. Yeah, let's do that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that, John. <laughs> Stand by. <laughs> a little rough. A little rough today. Uh, the best places to visit in uh, February 2020. February. 2024. 
um, February. February. Maybe the shortest month in the year, but now you can pack some serious travel into it. In 2024, it's a leap year. There's going to be an extra day for more adventure. The hardest part will be deciding where to go. Whether you need a restful break after the holiday season or an exhilarating adventure to kickstart your year, there's a perfect destination just waiting for you. Here are some of our favorite places to go. This is from Lonely Lonely Planet. Um, Louisiana, USA. Why now? Take a, a deep dive into the vibrant, turbulent, and tuneful heritage of the Bayou State. It's all about Mardi Gras. Have you ever been to Mardi Gras? No, have you? Uh, now, the full fat festival of music, dancing, parades, and overindulgence of all kinds brings in crowds and higher prices to the Big Easy. But Mardi Gras is celebrated across the state, and there are also opportunities to uncover more troubling and thought-provoking aspects of Louisiana, Louisiana's past in this relatively cool month. Pleasant for exploring. Two specially curated trails now showcase the state's African-American heritage and civil rights movement, highlighting key sites from Shreveport in the northwest to New Orleans French Quarter in the southeast. Um, that's pretty cool. The next one on the list mm-hmm. is um, United Arab Emirates. Oh, uh, The UAE awaits discovery in this relatively comfortable month with daytime temperatures lingering around uh, 75 degrees. And uh, there's Dubai, which I, I've been to, which is don't go there in August. It, do not go there in August. <laughs> Felt like I was in a rotisserie oven, like under the red oh, light. Under the miserable. red light, you know? Yeah, like a fry mm-hmm. lamp. Um, and there's sandy beaches. And um, yeah. Uh, do you have the story open? Mm, you sent me the story, but you have to uh, you just have to subscribe. To oh no! Well, we know that the best places to visit in February of 2024 are Louisiana and the UAE, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well there you go. That's Moving pretty good. On. Those are two places to go visit. Those what about two. if you want to know the rest? Go to Lonely Planet and sign up for the <laughs> newsletter, which I'm not going to do right now. How about we go? Uh, to this Italian town where they say Santa Claus is buried. Oh. What do you mean buried? He's not dead. That's rude. Yeah, that is rude. Mm. So, you know, Santa Santa Claus is based on St. Nicholas, right? The town Allegedly. of Bari, B-A-R-I. Oh, yeah. Which is the, located, um, they cruise. say, on the, the heel of Italy's boot. That's where the ferry ships go from. If you want to go oh, to is that true? Yeah. Uh, is they've laid claim to this alternate Santa story for about a thousand years where they say his remains are interred beneath a church that bears his name. So Nicholas, also known as Niklaus or Nicola was a real Nicola. life, <laughs> was a real life uh, Christian saint born, not in the frozen North, but in Myra in what is today Turkey. St. Nick, it's believed, was born around 270 CE and died 67 years later. He was revered around the Mediterranean for his generosity, especially in the town of Bari. This is perhaps why Barisi sailors stole his bones in 1087 and moved them oh, to their come own on, Barisi. town. Barisi yeah, they took his bones. The pirates. Them bones, them bones. Bone, bone pirates. So today, three quarters of what is claimed to be the skeleton of St. Nicholas rests in peace beneath the Basilica of San Nicola, Bari's largest church, where it is regularly visited by Christians of denominations from all over the world. The residents celebrate their connection to St. Nick, but they're somewhat mm, not very excited about his role in the commercial part of Christmas. They don't like that. They're... uh, City is popular for three things delicious mussels, pristine beaches, and Saint Nicholas. They don't feel that the Saint's cult has anything to do with the city's Christmas connection. 
Um, but among the people of Bari, there's a distinct reluctance to embrace the St. Nick origin story because of the famous image of the white bearded man in red was concocted by, they say, American fizzy drink marketers. Father Christmas is seen as an outsider, a consumeristic figure imported from the States whose jolly red face and round belly was created and exploited in the 1930s by Coca-Cola because kids love See, in our it. other story, they said they debunked that. And they said that's yeah. an urban legend that it was created right. by, what was the name of the writer that I mentioned? Do you remember? Or out no, of the, remember. It was out of a magazine. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of these things, anyway, the origin stories are like, yeah, yeah. They say instead they worship their patron, St. Nicholas. They pray to him in hard times. He watches over kids, young women, sailors. Uh, he's our cult, and we don't see him as Santa, just San Nicola. And that's why part of him has bar- is buried there. He's um, also, by the way, the patron saint of unmarried women. Young girls looking for a either. husband traditionally line up in the basilica praying for a betrothal. John Watson reminds us it was Nast, the not uh, Thomas Nast, invented oh, the image okay. of Santa Claus yeah, in 1862. Yeah. Harper's and then Weekly. Coca Cola glommed onto it, of course. Right? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So well, yeah, their their Santa looks a lot different than the Santa of you know America. I feel like all these Santa, like there's so many conflicting Santa Saint Nicholas stories. That, like take it all with a grain of salt. I think that's true. Although in this case, they say they have the bones. So, yeah, you but know, how can you prove that they're his bones? Who are you to argue? If they have the bones, because Santa's they have the bones. really busy. Obviously, we see him. Like, you think so? Yeah, it was on Norad. I mean, they had it on the CBS National News. Their Santa's skinny. Look at that statue. Oh, Do you see I'm the sorry. statue? Go ahead. He's skinny. Wow. He does have a beard, but that's their that's their Saint Nicholas He's statue also a in, in Bari. He's a hippie. Yeah, with the piece. Yeah. Peace. Uh, this anyway. next story is really disturbing. Did you see this? Uh, you know, you never you never hear anything positive about, um, you know, there's no positive news coming out of cruises, but there also mm-hmm. is never any positive news coming out of Spirit Airlines. An unaccompanied six-year-old boy, right, traveling mm-hmm. from Philadelphia to Fort Myers was, quote, incorrectly boarded onto Uh-oh. a plane to Orlando, according to Spirit Airlines spokesperson. Incorrectly boarded? That's a new one. <laughs> you can't. He you can't little. treat him like he's like a like a like a piece of uh, I don't know like like a luggage, right? Uh, incorrectly no. boarded. No, you screwed up. Spirit did not. <laughs> Spirit did not provide additional details. They probably didn't even know the additional details about the child or how the mistake on Thursday was made. <laughs> Go back and uh, review your processes, protocols, and standards. But the airline spokesperson did say an internal investigation was underway, and I'm sure they'll handle that properly like they handle everything else. The child was always under the care and supervision of a spirit team member. And as soon as we discovered the error, we took immediate steps to communicate with the family and reconnect them. Uh, The CBS affiliate, uh, W-I-N-K, Wink, identified the child as a six-year-old boy visiting his grandmother, Maria Ramos. The flight was uh, his first time on a plane. He's not going to forget this. They told me, no, he's not on this flight. He missed his flight. Well, that sounds like a... They're like, that sounds about right. This is Spirit Airlines, after all. How is that um, possible? I said, no, he could not miss the flight because I have the check-in tag, Ramos said. I ran inside the plane to find the flight attendant, and I asked her, where's my grandson? He was handed over to you at Philadelphia, she said. No, I had no kids with me. Uh, this is this is insane. Ramos later got a call from her grandson <laughs> saying he had landed several hours away from Fort Myers. While the boy landed in Orlando, his luggage went to Fort Myers. A spirit, Aww. spirit is like always inventing new ways to screw up. Uh, 
can they just stop being an airline? Somebody buy them and put them out of their misery. That right? poor kid must have been so scared. Would you ever fly Spirit Airlines? No. They screw up left and right. That is when the, the flight actually takes off, right? Or they're, they're not holding you on the on the tarmac for six hours. Um, the Spirit Airlines spokesperson said that they apologized to the family. Well, I hope so. Uh, but Rama says she wants answers. I want them to call me. Let me know uh, how my grandson ended up in Orlando. How did that right. happen? Did they right. just get him off the plane? Uh, the flight attendant, after uh, after mom handed him the paperwork, did they just let him go by himself? He just jumped in the wrong plane by himself? Uh, unaccompanied minors have traveled on incorrect flights in the past. In 2019, a boy was put on a United Airlines flight to Germany when he was supposed to be headed to Sweden. That's not a minor mistake. In 2009, two different unaccompanied girls, ages 8 and 10, were placed on wrong Continental Express flights. The airline blamed miscommunication among staff. You'd think maybe they would have, like, uh, like a tag that they have you put on their wrist, right? That they would have to double-check the destination, right? You know you how you have, like, a medical so. tag? You have, like, a medical tag at the hospital? And they're yeah. always asking you, what's your name? What's your birth date? Come no on. one is going, you know, if you have a, a flight attendant who has a job to do, that's really hard to ask them to wash your kid at the same time. That that kid could easily have slipped right out the door and, you know, gone on to another whatever. Or been kidnapped or God knows. Yeah, um, the scary. list of misdirected passengers go be, goes beyond children. United Airlines mistakenly flew a Kansas-bound German shepherd to Japan in 2018. Oops. Oh, my God. <laughs> the airline also diverted a 2018 flight from Newark to St. Louis after crew members realized they had loaded a dog into the cargo hold who was meant to be going to Akron, Ohio. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think they need to revisit their procedures. No. Mm-mm. Um, let's talk about, speaking of travel, let's go to the Notre Dame church. Oh, Remember it caught fire? Yeah, the cathedral. Yeah. yeah. And it, um, it was not open to the public for a long time, yeah. but now, uh, it's regained its place on the Paris skyline. So, uh, this is the return of one of the most emblematic features still encasing some scaffolding near the Notre Dame work site. Nearly 500 craftspeople are busy with the rebuilding efforts, trying to ensure the Parisian landmark is ready for its grand reopening to the public less than a year from now. So we're very close yeah. to being able to revisit. It's a big deal. It. It's a big deal for Parisians. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't get to see it when I went. It was pre-pandemic, but it had just burned down. So. Oh, really? I went there before this happened, but I um, the line was so long that I was like, oh, I'll do it another time. Um, and then you know you have this moment where you may not ever get to so well they are rebuilding uh, it i mean when they're yeah, rebuilding they spire and they're using old plans and um i think they had they they had like scanned it with a camera so they like know yeah. the dimensions which is pretty cool um they say it's fascinating to see how something of such historical value is being restored and the ambition is to do it all in five years so it, it's exciting that's the crazy fast, um, yeah. french president says it's on schedule for Notre Dame to reopen to the public. Emmanuel Macron. Macron. Uh, to reopen to the public December 8th of 2024, five years and seven months after this fire that ripped through this church destroyed large parts of this 860-year-old building. Uh, that happened, of course, in April of 2019. So by the time the Olympic Games come around in July, they say we expect to have unscaffolded the upper part of the spire and completed most of the roofing so that uh, Parisians and visitors from all over the world can see how close the cathedral is to reopening. Um, 
that's exciting that they're they're doing that. Of course, it's not going to ever be exactly the same, but it's nice. But to I mean, see a lot that, of a lot of yeah. historical cathedrals and whatnot have burned down or you know being re- rebuilt hundreds of years ago. So I mean, it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. This next story, we need to do this next story because it's our, our lead story. Okay, go ahead. Um, well, it's your story. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't steal it your is. thunder. Uh, okay, well, don't do that. <laughs> this I have the story, video, though. It's kind of upsetting. You gave me this story, which I thought yeah. was so interesting. So there's a, a man that died. And, of course, it's so sad when, you know, someone passes. But this man's son, it works with AI. And so he used AI to create a gift, which I don't think is much of a gift. Well, and keep mom. in mind, when you say he worked with AI, he's like yeah. a content person. Like he's a right. TikToker, TikToker yeah. which is worse than a YouTuber. YouTube's okay. So he uses AI to create this message to this woman from her dead husband. So he gives his mom for Christmas a video of his father. Now, it's not of his father. It's of his it's like AI father. Yeah, right. Like slideshow with his, voice. Not as real dad, obviously. It's just AI created content. Here's what here's what it looks like. Hi, honey. I love you. I hear your prayers. I want you to know you are the best mother to our kids. And you are strongest woman in the whole world i'm always with you honey and um and i hope you guys have a merry christmas I think that's really upsetting. First yeah, of all, it's part not of me, really your husband. It's yeah, a part fake of me message. It's like at first I was like, oh, kind of sweet, but then I'm like, it's kind of emotionally cruel. Yeah, I think so too. It's like you, you, you know, suffer through grief when you may still be feeling grief. Right. It's not natural. And it's, like, it's tearing this band-aid yeah. off of the, this wound, and it's not even real. Yeah, it's not real. It's artificial. And on the top of that, he's a TikToker and he made it go viral. It's like he exploited this moment because he's a tearjerker and he's making mm. money off of it. And I just feel like I don't think it's uh, my mom. Oh, my God. My mom. I don't even know how she would react, but I feel like it would not be healthy. No, because it wouldn't be your dad. Right. But it, so- she would think it was like emotionally. It's hard. Like you've seen in like. Star Trek yeah. or whatever, when they have like a, a recording or a you know, virtual display of somebody who's died sure. or Star Wars or whatever, you could have like some kind of emotional reaction that's just not healthy because you think, oh, they're still here and they're not here. Right. I think that would yeah. mess up, mess up with your grief. I don't know. What do you guys think? He says that the man says he found a community of people who use the tech technology to digitally commune with dead loved ones you're not communing with dead loved no, ones if that's you're like a morbid version of those people who are like i have a ai girlfriend no you don't no, that's you're talking fake. to a computer that's, it's not your loved one right it isn't. this is an enhanced version of like a videotape but you've no. created it it's like you created an audio tape you create a videotape but it's not if real I'm, if i'm the woman that lost her husband i don't want that, that so-called christmas gift i don't want that if you found a video 
of my loved one right. that was a real video that right. I should see that I want. That's worth reopening like some old Beatles, wounds of grief. Old Beatles footage or something like a old something like that. Or something, yeah. Yes, or an old message or a message that they'd recorded that you a hadn't voicemail, seen or whatever. Like a voicemail, right? Recording, but yeah. an AI message that's not really even your husband. It's very manipulative. No. Manipulative, and the fact that no. he's exploiting it and putting it all over his channel, and he has like thirty-two thousand followers or whatever, and like you're making money off that. That just seems. Mm -hmm. Icky. I think Eric Mama says, says, Mama says no, this is wrong. Don't resurrect the dead like this. I agree. Yeah, I agree uh, with Mama. Feels it just icky. feels icky. Pauline says that feels a horrible. That's horrible. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, Vanessa says no, just no. Colors of the wind, AI, sick. Yeah, it doesn't feel right to me. No, absolutely yeah, I think not. The uh, consensus is no, don't no, do it. No, no. Yeah. yeah, it's just creepy. And you're hanging out in groups where people are using it as like some bogus, weird seance tool. It's not real. No, it like, isn't real. How does your all. brain not comprehend that it's not real? Mm -mm. No, it thanks. Seems like that would lead to like mental illness, right? No. If you started to believe it. No. I yeah, I, I think that's a bad. That's bad. That's not a gift. That's that's a that's a curse. Yes. Let's talk about how human beings are still evolving. I thought we were as perfect as we were going to get. Well, but I, guess I don't think we're all evolving. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that last guy, I don't think he's evolving. Uh, yeah. This is out of uh, Newsweek, and apparently we may still be evolving even more rapidly than ever, according to scientists. Uh, it's also it's often assumed that the modern modern humans are no longer evolving, but there's now considerable agreement among scientists that evolution is still affecting our species. And this process is taking place more rapidly than ever before, while cultural and technological innovations now appear to be the main drivers of adaptation for modern humans. This has not replaced biological adaptation, according to scientists. Uh, quote, I don't think the question of whether humans are still evolving is fully appreciated by the general public, according to Michael Granitowski, an evolutionary biomechanist, biomechanist at the New York Institute of Technology. Uh, perceptions of evolution tout the phrase survival of the fittest, which is automatically, you know, that automatically recalls epic battles between fighting individuals vying for a mate or a ragtag a bunch of animals surviving a cataclysmic event at all odds. With these images, it's tempting to assume modern populations are no longer under selective pressures. However, evolution simply means a change in a population's gene pool over successive generations. With this broader definition, I do not believe there is considerable debate among evolutionary biologists that humans are still evolving. Um, from a genetic perspective, evolution is defined as a change in the frequency of certain genes throughout time, um, right? Populations evolve in two primary ways, genetic drift and natural selection. Genetic drift refers to random fluctuations in the frequency of certain genes between generations and populations. Some generations, uh, a genetic variant will increase in frequency. Some generations, it will decrease in frequency. However, it's always occurring. The strength of genetic drift depends on the size of the population with small populations experiencing more drift and large populations experiencing less. Hmm. The ultimate fate of any genetic variant evol evolving through genetic drift is either to go extinct or to completely replace all other variants in the population and become fixed. Natural selection, on the other hand, which people are more familiar with, occurs when a genetic variant provides a reproductive advantage to individuals that carry it. Changes in gene frequency due to natural selection are not random. The favored variant increase uh, increases in frequency while all the others decrease. Um, so both natural selection and genetic drift continue to affect our species. Uh, thus, humans are undoubtedly still evolving. Genetic drift continues to change the frequency of alleles, different versions or variants of genes of a given gene, as does in all biological mm -hmm. populations. 
Um, so uh, finish it out here. The census size of humans has now surpassed 8 billion people. In a population of this size, genetic drift should be almost negligible. However, in reality, humans are subdivided into much smaller groups uh, within which people are more, like, are more likely to choose their mates. This means that in practice, evolution occurs in much smaller groups and genetic drift does still operate. If you want to read more about it, it goes into a lot of detail. It's at newsweek.com. Do I have time for one more story? Since you asked so nicely, <laughs> this is sacrilege. People are so upset about the question of whether Jesus's mom was in a same-sex relationship. What? Wait, what? Was Mary gay? I, don't, I remember that. I don't remember that. Remember, story. That wasn't in catechism. What happened there? Well, there's a nativity scene with two mothers. What can you tell us about the scene? It has conservative Catholics upset. Joseph, the husband of Mary, is replaced with another woman in the nativity scene featured at a church in a southern Italian village. Oh, boy, is this making people mad. This well, she did have a different sperm donor, right? Hey, that's right. I mean, you know, he, as Maury says, you are not the father. Was this the first ca case of IVF? <laughs> it, was, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. The Immaculate Conception. Well, maybe it was just a, you know, lesbian relationship. No. At the Church of Saints Peter and Paul in the southern Italian city of Capo Castella di Mercogliano, Joseph is nowhere to be found. According to these pictures on social media and now on various media outlets, there's another woman near Mary instead. There's now a petition. People are so upset about this, calling for the removal of this nativity scene. Pro vita and familia. Pro life Is that the and shepherd family. right there next to them? Yeah, I, I guess, guess the so. shepherd. Yeah. yeah. The shepherd's uh, like, oh man, Joseph. More than 23,000 signature people have signed this This petition calling for the removal of the of the uh the fee this feature but it looks like i don't know men, know many your audience of, dude know your many audience. of this of the signatures aren't from italy they might be from around the world the priest father vitaliano della the priest from this church defended Is it priest the or former priest I think he's, so far he's still the priest he update. said um i wanted to show with this scene that families are no longer just the traditional ones. He said, in our parishes, we see more and more children from the new types of families that exist and are part of our society. Children of separated and divorced people, gay couples, single people, young mothers. So that's why he did it. But this pro vita familia is calling it blasphemous and a colossal lie. Um, they say Joseph was sacrificed at the altar of political correctness. Oh, no. Yeah. So what do you well, think? It looks like she, she also is... invented the pride flag. Yeah, she is wearing a little pride flag dress. Do you, Are you upset about this as far as like, you know, a priest making a statement saying we have different kinds of families? And well, so I'm sorry, but there's a conflict between the Catholic Church and the LGBTQ community. So like, mm -hmm. I don't see these as compatible uh, groups. Um and so why are you poking the bear here in terms of these believers? It's like your, your, your flock doesn't even believe like in, in general, especially in a conservative country. Well, um, if he's got more and more families that are representative. Like, of I different... mean, not that I believe this is actual history. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not very, uh, I'm not very religious, 
but you are rewriting the story that a lot of people believe in. So it's like, I feel like you're unnecessarily tweaking a group that doesn't necessarily believe in same-sex mar marriage or LGBTQ rights. So it's like, you're forcing this on them. And it's like, I don't see this as um, useful for moving, you know, the conversation forward. Right. Interesting. All I don't right. think you're going to get a, a, a net positive out of this. Right? I, don't I don't think you're going to convert. I don't think you're going to convert no. a lot of people. You're just I, alienate. I, I can see why people would be upset about it, but I don't look at it and feel upset. Well, yeah, but I mean, you're not a fervent believer in that's true. The Jesus, yeah. The Jesus, I was gonna watch my watch my words. I try to be respectful with about religion, but you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Walter Eric says I don't says, know that Jesus existed. Um, Eric says, "Oops, sorry." Eric says the entire story is likely not true. There's zero reason why families would need to travel to their place of birth for a census, even in that time period. Hmm. I yeah. don't know. They would have let you out. Uh, they would have mailed it to your home, right? <laughs> Sent it via a messenger pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that's wrong with the story. There's a lot that's wrong. Gordon a lot says also Joseph was not a white man. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, I mean, most people in that area look closer, at least tan, Mediterranean closer to what I, I look like, I would when say. When you include um, uh, another woman in that picture with the fly pride flag, as we just saw, yeah. I mean, I think it's saying we include you here. And didn't the Catholic ch Church just come out and say, we can bless your marriage. We can't offer you, offer you the sacraments of marriage, but we can bless your marriage. So maybe it was this priest trying to say, you're welcome here. You're part of our well, story. Sure, I don't think he has the authority to like change oh. the story. But um, <laughs> if you want to if you want to include people, change, push to change the current laws to allow women to perform masses. This is a completely sexist organization that I grew up in. Like there's so many other things to do. Uh, it's just, I think it's kind of goofy. I love you. You're awesome. On behalf of all women everywhere, we salute you, John. <laughs> well, it's Daly. true. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's fact. It's fact. Yeah. It's a bigoted organization. Sorry. Um, we are done for the day and I don't want to be, but are we being censored? Are we being told? I think to... that's it. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. But yeah. you know what? We're going to be right back here tomorrow. We're going to be doing it all over again. So please join us on the after party live. Some more great stories coming up, and we will see you then. Cindy for $5. Huge thank, thank you, Cindy. You. And yes. our ongoing contributors, Julie S., Karen C., yep. Elaine L., Kim L., uh, Tamia G., and Pinky C. Hey. You guys are keeping the show going. Without you, uh, you, we wouldn't be here. If you could share the show, that would help. Uh, our number's a little lower right now, so the more people uh, that you share it with, uh, the bigger the audience could be, and then we could keep this show going. Right, Kim? Yeah, we can keep We'd it going into the new year, even. That's right. Bye, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. See you tomorrow on the Have After Party Live. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.